What kind of Christian would sell cigarettes to soldiers in World War I and vote for a presidential candidate who he didn't think was a Christian? The answer is one of the ablest defenders of the Christian faith, none other than John Gresham Machen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Pactum. I'm Mike Grimes here again with Pat Abendroth, and we are continuing our Marching with Machen series, and we are going to be looking again at the book Christianity and Liberalism by J. Gresham Machen. And Mike Machen did, in fact, serve with the YMCA during World War I, and he did many things, but he did sell cigarettes to soldiers. <laughs> And when it comes to the matter of voting, apparently Machen understood that the country was not attempting to elect a pastor in chief, mm, yes. um, but the one who would be none other than the president. Our series is called Marching with Machen because we are recording in March, though we may move our way into April just a bit, and because we are offering pushback to a disingenuous theologian who ridicules the followers of Machen as Machen's warrior children. We consider it an honor to stand with Machen uh, as those who would follow not only him and his example of being brave, but also those who've been adversely labeled Machen's warrior children. The fact of the matter is warring can be virtuous. It was J. Gresham Machen on March 10th, 1929, his final chapel address at Princeton Seminary before they, in effect, showed him the door, uh, that he said these provocative words. It is impossible to be a true soldier of Jesus Christ and not fight. That message was called Fight the Good Fight of Faith. And he called it not a battle of hate when you're fighting for the faith, but a battle of love. Toward the end of that message, uh, I love these words. I think you will find them inspiring. He says to the students, I hope above all that wherever you are and however your preaching may be received, you may be true witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that there may never be any doubt where you stand, but that always you may stand squarely for Jesus Christ as he has offered to us, not in the experiences of men, but in the blessed written word of God. I took that quote from my copy of Calhoun's two-volume history of Princeton Seminary by Banner of Truth. It's a real gem and quite a history. Having mentioned the written word of God in that quote you just read by Machen, we're going to be talking today about the fourth chapter, well, our chapter four, and that chapter is on the Bible. The written word of God. Yes. It is a short chapter. I think it's wonderful, delightful. I propose we actually begin the chapter by looking at the very end because mm -hmm. it provides a great summary. And at the very end of the chapter on the Bible, Machen says that it is no wonder then that liberalism is totally different from Christianity. Mm -hmm. So that goes back to our title, right? Yeah. Two different religions. Then he says, for the foundation is different. Christianity is founded upon the Bible. Liberalism, on the other hand, is founded upon the shifting emotions of sinful men. Let's close the podcast episode today, since that's the closing. <laughs> so uh, maybe we can close in prayer, all heads bowed, all eyes closed. <laughs> we do want to engage with the chapter a little bit more than that today. So Fair we're going to go back to the start of the chapter. And uh, Machen asks at the beginning of the chapter, he says, what shall we think about this book, referring to the Bible, in which the message is contained? And then from there, he launches into some amazing material unpacking the truth 
we find in the scriptures. Indeed, he does. And not only that, he even says diametrically opposed he on does. the first page. I, so I, I saw that immediately and thought yeah, of our last episode. It's good, good repetition. I think we can summarize where Machen is in the beginning of the chapter as a focus on exclusivity, mm. which is something that theological liberals despise. Yeah. Uh, we have to be all-inclusive. We have to include everyone and everything all of the time, or it must not be loving. Uh, but Machen offers the pushback because he is a Christian and he's following Christ. And he says, according to the Christian view, the Bible contains an account of a revelation from God to man. And here's what's key, which is found nowhere else. Hmm. So it is unique. And if it is unique and not found in other religions, though other religions teach all kinds of niceties and truisms, but redemption is found in and through the Lord Jesus Christ alone, and the Bible alone stands out as the Christian book that emphasizes this. He goes on to say that what makes the message of the Bible so unique and therefore exclusive is the fact that it is the message of how sinful human beings can have communion with the living God. Now, Machen wouldn't deny that the Bible is also inclusive, right? I think that's right. He would certainly affirm the inclusivity of the gospel and of the Bible because all who come to Christ, uh, he gives them rest. And so there's a sense in which it's inclusive. Not only that, it's inclusive in that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. <laughs> so it includes everyone, yep. but you'd, you must trust in Christ. And we don't find this in other religions or in other religious books. Uh, and, and in that sense, it is exclusive and thus comes the rub yeah. when we want to invent a different kind of religion. Soldiering on, we come to another emphasis in the chapter, and that would be the fact that biblical Christianity, Christianity according to the Bible, uh, is grounded in history, and it's not grounded in experience. Not that experience isn't good. It actually is good, but it's first and foremost grounded in history. It's the objective uh, before it is the subjective. And Machen really hits it out of the park here. Yeah, this was super helpful. A quote from the chapter the way was opened, according to the Bible, by an act of God when, almost 1,900 years ago, outside the walls of Jerusalem, on the next page he likewise says, on a certain morning, Jesus rose from the dead. I love this. I love this. I love this. I have to interrupt you. We can talk about it more later. But notice, he is grounding things in history. Yeah. So he talks about 1,900 years ago, from the time he was writing, and it's outside of the walls of Jerusalem, on a certain Sunday morning. So we have to get that in our minds. He's arguing for Christianity being a historic religion tied to historic events. Please continue on. Right. He says, the eternal Son was offered as a sacrifice for the sins of men. Salvation, then, according to the Bible, is not something that was discovered, but something that happened. Yes. Hence appears the uniqueness of the Bible. Christianity depends not upon a complex of ideas, but upon the narration of an event. Without that event, the world, in the Christian view, is altogether dark, and humanity is lost under the guilt of sin. There can be no salvation by the discovery of eternal truth, for eternal truth brings naught but despair because of sin. But a new face has been put upon life by the blessed thing that God did when, in time and space, outside the walls of Jerusalem, he offered up his only begotten Son. Amen and amen. <laughs> it is so 
wonderful and clear that he does this. And notice the pushback against eternal truth. Right. Which sounds familiar to the ways we speak sometimes as evangelicals. Uh, first and foremost, it's not, Christianity is not about eternal truths. Uh, first and foremost, it is about the historic event, the redemptive event that happened in real time and in real space. Mm. Mike, this is one of the reasons I love taking people to Israel. I love taking them, looking at them in the eye and saying, this is the place where Jesus Christ earned salvation for you. Yeah. And you get strange looks sometimes if you've never heard someone say that before. Salvation is by works, we know, just not our works, but by the works of Christ, we have salvation. And we go to Israel not to do a pilgrimage um, or to somehow get the special sacred anointing off of the stone uh, at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, but to think about history and to think about what's, what really happened uh, outside of the city gates. Yeah. Uh, again, Christianity is tied to history. It's tied to an actual event uh, that happens, again, outside of us yeah. uh, on our behalf, yes, but uh, outside of us in time and space and in history. So therefore, it is first and foremost about history, not experience. And so, but thinking about experience a little bit, I mean, there's, there is some experience involved as a Christian, and uh, certainly Machen anticipates that, does he not? He anticipates it big time. In fact, he says, men have jumped to the conclusion that it is all that is necessary. So Machen isn't saying that experience isn't necessary. It is. You must believe. You will feel conviction of sin. Mm. You will believe. You will, you will experience what it feels like to no longer be facing the condemnation mm. of God because you know you've trusted in Christ. So experience is a definite positive. But what Machen is objecting to is the fact that we don't have to have the history and that we only have to have the experience, right. or I might add, if it's experience only. Yeah. So he does say, for Christian experience depends absolutely on an event. Mm. So we have experience, but it depends upon an event. If the thing has not yet been done, he says, the thing, <laughs> the redemptive event outside the city gates, if the thing has not yet been done, if I merely have an idea of its accomplishment, then I am of all men most miserable. Mm. Ah, sounds like 1 Corinthians 15, doesn't yeah. it? For I am still in my sins. My Christian life then depends altogether upon the truth of the New Testament record. And we know that record is of an event. Right. So again and again and again, he talks about experience. Yeah. This is the experience chapter, if you will, because so many don't tie Christianity to history. First and foremost, they tie it, tie it to something that happened inside of me. Right. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus <laughs> lives today. He walks with me and talks with me. Right? Yeah. You ask me how I know he lives. Yeah. He lives within my heart. Right. And, and it should say something like, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives based upon the fact that the tomb was empty three days later right. before eyewitnesses. Da, 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 da. I'm going to have to pick some new songs for Easter Sunday. Like, we can't <laughs> sing that. <laughs> it doesn't sound quite so good. So it, it is true that there is something that happens to our heart, in our heart. But that's actually the experience side of things. It is personal, right. but before it is personal, actually, it is public, and it is done by none other than Christ. Right, right. It is the experience chapter, though, that's for sure. I didn't count how many times, but he says it again and yes. again and again. Any guesses on what song I was listening to when I was preparing? I have no idea. There's yeah, no telling. No idea at all. <laughs> <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
I thought about wearing a blouse today in honor of <laughs> Jimi Hendrix, but instead I'm just wearing a Marf. You got a Marf. Uh, and a Marf <laughs> is none other than a man's scarf. Now, it's a little bit dignified because I did buy it in the Middle East and it actually is a men's scarf. Okay. But have you ever been experienced? Okay, we digress <laughs> greatly, but pop culture is in my head and I right. couldn't stop thinking about it as he keeps talking about experience right. and pushing back. He says elsewhere about the Christian experience, he says that Christian experience is rightly used when it confirms the documentary evidence. And he goes on to say that Christian experience is rightly used when it helps to convince us that the events narrated in the New Testament actually did occur, but it can never enable us to be Christians, whether the events occurred or not. Facts, yes. yes. Feelings, yes. Facts before feelings, yes. yes. Yep. I lost my train of thought there for a second. I had a purple haze on my brain. <laughs> Lately, things just don't seem the same. Acting <laughs> funny, but I don't know why. Mike doesn't. I, I just I reached d- my hand out so he could say, excuse me while I kiss the sky. But I don't know these he's songs. He's not a child Listen, of man, such a strange generation. I grew up in the CCM bubble. And unless it's Stephen Curtis Chapman, I can't quote the lyric to you. And I'm not ashamed to say it. I, mean, I don't even know what CCM is. Contemporary Christian music. Uh, I, I actually did know. <laughs> Compulsive liar. I'm, I'm and, still And if we've, if we've caused any of you to stumble by playing Jimi Hendrix lyrics, um, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> now that I am thinking clearly, uh, Mike, uh, did you notice that Machen put an emphasis on being Christ-centered in reading the Old Testament and the New Testament? Yes, I did. Yes. He says, to that one great event, talking about redemption, to that one great event, the whole Old Testament looks forward. Mm-hmm. And in that one event, the whole of the New Testament finds its center and core. Christ-centered. It will come up again and again, uh, but I never tire of pointing it out to both friend and foe mm. of reading the Bible like a Christian, which would be reading it in a, Christ- in a Christ-centered way. Uh, again, I think Machen would approve of our episodes three and five. <laughs> and I think those who like to sound like liberals who deny a Christ-centered hermeneutic and Christ-centered preaching uh, maybe wouldn't like it so much. They probably wouldn't. That's right. Well, let's continue marching on with Machen in the chapter on the Bible. And here he talks about the Bible, yes, records the event, but it also explains its meaning. I think this is worth the price of the book. It's worth the price of the book, even if the book is free. Uh, (laughs) But it's worth reading the book for us as Christians when it comes to apologetics, defending the faith, when it comes to Christian pastors, to, to know and to never forget that not only do we have the events recorded, we actually have the interpretation of the, of the events recorded. Right. So it's not up to us to watch Jesus do all of these seemingly strange things at times right. and to say, here's what it means to me yep. and tell me what it means to you. And let's write a poem about it or something <laughs> like that. Uh, it's not that at all. And so Machen says, thus the revelation of which an account is contained. So the biblical account, the historical account in the Bible embraces not only a reaffirmation of eternal truths. He's using liberal speak there. They speak of the eternal truths. He goes on to say then, but also a revelation which sets forth the meaning of an act of God. Mm. Meaning, meaning, meaning. The Bible, in the Bible, Jesus himself interprets the meaning of his 
actions. Yeah, that's right. Machen cites Mark 1045, where it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The words of Jesus there from Mark 1045. King in on for many, given the fact that so many times theological theological liberals, or today perhaps progressive Christians, as they like to be called, mm. uh, don't like that for word, F-O-R, right. for, in place of, substitution. Uh, he's not just an example. He's a great right. example, but he's actually making atonement for many, the substitutionary work of Christ. So again, we have the event recorded, but even Jesus himself says, here's what it means. Here's what it's going to do. Here's what I'm going to accomplish. Mm. Speaking of progressive Christians, uh, I went to progressivechristianity.org hmm. and found some really helpful things there. Serious. Or not. Progressive Christianity is an open, intelligent, and collaborative hmm. approach to the Christian tradition and the life and teachings of Jesus that creates a pathway uh -huh. into an authentic and relevant religious experience. All the good words there. Man, they, re the they really words. know how to do it. And <laughs> what they're doing is they're taking maybe things that Jesus did, and then they're going to offer their interpretation, right. which is a major foul. Uh, right. They had a, a suggestion for our Easter service here. Uh, the progressive Christians did uh, a contradiction in terms, sort of like liberal Christians. Mm. Uh, and they say, roll away the stone on this Easter Sunday. Let us roll away the stone, the stone that stifles the divine spark within <laughs> us, that keeps us from being our true selves. Oh. So if you're... Thinking about or hearing about progressive Christianity, which apparently people talk about, mm. uh, Machen is talking about the same kind of thing, yeah, where yeah. it's very subjective, it's not objective, and it's not interpreted for us. It's sort of left up to the collaborative approach. Oh, Mike, what does it mean to you? All the warm, fuzzy feelings. I guess so. I guess so. Now, this does bring us to the matter of why they might do this. Mm. Why would progressive Christians, quote unquote, or why would theological, liberal Christians, uh, quote, unquote, why, why would they want to be saying, well, we can't really know what it means. Uh, we're going to have to figure out collaboratively or what we think it means because it, the, the meaning is not clear in the Bible. And that brings us to the matter of authority. So the question really is why? Why progressive Christianity? Why, quote, unquote, liberal Christianity? I mean, why do they not want to have the Bible state what it means by what it says? For starters, I think they are seeking broader acceptance. They want to be accepted by unbelievers uh, and have Christianity somehow be more palatable to a, a sinful culture. Mm -hmm. But where Machen really is going to zero in is on the fact that this is a matter of authority. Yeah. And so if we have all of these actions of Jesus and we can say what they mean, uh, regardless of what he said, well, it, it gets to the matter of authority. Now, now Jesus isn't the ultimate authority. God is not the ultimate authority. Now, in effect, we are the ultimate right. authorities. Right. And in so many ways, so many controversies and arguments come down to this. It comes down to one word, and the one word is authority. Who's in charge? Who's the authority? Who's the sovereign, if you will? Mm -hmm. Whose religion is it? And when Machen is arguing for Christianity and liberalism as opposed to Christianity, uh, well, if you're the authority, then it's not Christianity. Right. If Christ is the authority, then it is Christianity, right. as opposed to that ugly religion I like to call Pat-ianity, <laughs> uh, that no one in the right mind would join if they heard it called that. But sadly, plenty of people would join it uh, when we start 
putting words in Jesus' mouth, if you will, uh, when we put a gag in Jesus' mouth or the authors of Scripture and we start dictating to them what is meant and what is intended, it's a hijacking of authority is actually what it is. Aha, uh-huh. I see a pattern here. Yes, you do. We're and what, the, what's the pattern? Yeah, we're back to Jesus, and Jesus is the answer. But at the same time, I'm not going to actually let Jesus have the authority. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that so interesting? they don't like the Bible. They just like Jesus. Yes, we like Jesus. And so, but we don't let Jesus actually speak. We actually speak for him, right. having issued a gag for him. Right. Machen says, the impression is sometimes produced that the modern liberal substitutes for the authority of the Bible, the authority of Christ. He cannot accept, he says, what he regards as the perverse moral teaching of the Old Testament or the sophistical arguments of Paul, but he regards himself as being the true Christian because, rejecting the rest of the Bible, he depends upon Jesus alone. And then he goes on to say, this impression, however, is utterly false. The modern liberal does not really hold to the authority of Jesus. It's all a bunch of malarkey. <laughs> Machen doesn't say that, but, but we definitely do. And this kind of brings us back to the fact that the domain name is already taken. Right. It's already taken. Hands off. So don't call yourself a Christian if you're not willing to allow Jesus to speak uh, and everything will be a lot clearer. Right. Machen also goes on to say that as a matter of fact, however, the modern liberal does not hold fast even to the authority of Jesus. Certainly he does not accept the words of Jesus as they are recorded in the Gospels, for among the recorded words of Jesus are to be found just those things which are the most abhorrent to the modern liberal church. He goes on to explain the fact that uh, Jesus commissions the apostles. He affirms the apostles. He says, for example, in John 16, that he will lead them into all the truth, the Holy Spirit will. And so to say, well, I I don't like Paul uh, because of his views on marital roles or something. Uh, But I like Jesus. Well, as you said, that's a bunch of malarkey. Uh, It's a free country. Start your own religion. We wouldn't advise it. uh, But the name Christianity is taken. Yeah. So I would encourage people to be on the lookout for what ends up being Mm self-authority and not really looking to the authority of Jesus. Uh, Who's in charge here? Who is sovereign? Who is uh, king here? And For Christians, it it is none other than Christ, his apostles, the word, the Bible that he affirms. Fascinatingly enough, Machen studied under theological liberals. Mm -hmm. Uh, He seemed to to have dabbled in it as far as entertaining its philosophies and ideas. And he comes out on the other side saying, no, in fact, uh, having looked at it as a scholar, even uh, I'm going to call myself a Christian Mm -hmm. and I'm going to mean it in all all of the right senses. Yeah. This is probably a good place to encourage Christian moms uh, because I want to point out the fact that Machen was taught the Bible by his mother as a small child. Uh, He affirms her in doing so. And yet it is after that time when he goes and he studies under theological liberals, he entertains their philosophy, their approach. And yet by the sovereign grace of God, um, that Bible teaching seems to have borne fruit. And he actually returns to the faith of his mother, if you will, uh, that like precious faith, the Christian faith. And that that to me as a Christian parent is encouraging. Yeah. Transitioning into our final focus in the chapter, we want to focus on freedom. And when it comes to freedom, it's actually related to the matter of authority. And so, Mike, before you read this really helpful quotation, uh, let's think in terms of the fact that when people 
are the authority and they have their take based upon their experience. And then we're supposed to follow them, whether it be their example or they're the pastor or something like that. Uh, it's anything but freeing yeah. because now all of a sudden we're tied to their experience yeah. or we're tied to someone else's experience or we're tied to uh, their interpretation of things and st- instead of the explicit interpretation that comes in the Bible itself. Right. And Machen says, dependence upon a word of man would be slavish, but dependence upon God's word is life. Dark and gloomy would be the world if we were left to our own devices and had no blessed word of God. The Bible to the Christian is not a burdensome law, but the very Magna Carta of Christian liberty. So let's really consider this, the fact that it seems freeing to color outside of the lines and to have it mean whatever you want it to mean. But in actuality, Machen is arguing it's not actually freeing because that's never ending. It's a never ending burden Mm -hmm. and it's enslaving. What's actually truly freeing is having God's word in print. There it is. We can read it. We can understand it. And that's freeing because uh, that's all we have to follow and the only savior we have to trust. And we're not now enslaved to the whims of this, that, or the other philosophy that comes, comes along. And so the very thing that seems to be freeing sometimes, uh, new revelation from God, new experiences, new insights. Well, those are never ending. Yeah. And actually you'll end up being enslaved. And there are popular examples of this, even in evangelicalism, uh, that sound and smack of liberalism, even though they're promoted by evangelicals. And what you have in mind, Pat, I know is Jesus Calling right, you by are, Sarah Young. You are a mind reader, uh, <laughs> is what I'm afraid of here. Well, I think Jesus Calling actually is a really helpful example of something horrific and yeah. bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not only is it mysticism, not only is it um, uh, an undermining of the sufficiency of Scripture, it ends up enslaving people. Because what if I don't have her same supposed experiences and now I'm supposed to, or maybe I'm friends with her and she has Jesus talking to her, giving her private new revelation. And I don't have that. Well, if, if that's real, then now I'm enslaved to her Mm -hmm. and her experience and her authority. And so maybe these folks are well-meaning, but it actually ends up being a contradiction to the authority of the Bible, the authority of Jesus. And these things are not helpful. They're actually harmful. These things are not biblical Christianity, part of the once and for all delivered to the saints faith. Uh, Machen, no doubt would say it's part of a different religion. Right. And it looks a lot like theological liberalism, yep. not tied to a historic event. It's tied first and foremost to religious experience. And so be warned, beware, be careful. Uh, These things are marketed to us as if they're sound and healthy, but they actually uh, end up not liberating us. They end up enslaving us. The charismatic movement is filled with this. We could have example after example after example. It's not freeing. It's actually binding. It's enslaving and it's harmful. Well, while there is plenty of good stuff in this chapter, we are running out of time for today's episode, and uh, maybe a good parting shot can come from the Gnostic H.L. Mencken, the strange admirer of Machen that we mentioned in previous episodes. He says, if Christianity is really true, as he believes, speaking of Machen, then the Bible is true. And if the Bible is true, 
then it is true from cover to cover. And he goes on, Machen's position is completely impregnable. Pretty interesting coming from an agnostic critic, yes. uh, Mencken, but really helpful quotation. I love that. Yep. Well, we want to thank you for joining us today. And as we do wrap up, Pat mentioned earlier in the episode going to Israel, and we do want to mention that Pat and his world-famous, world-renowned, syndicated podcast host brother, Mike <laughs> Abendroth. My Mike. My Mike. <laughs> From No Compromise Radio. Pat and his brother Mike are going to be leading another tour to Israel, and that tour is scheduled to happen in February of 2022. If you'd like some more information, there is going to be an informational meeting on Sunday, April 11th here at 1 p.m. Central Time at Omaha Bible Church. However, we are going to have Zoom available for those of you who may not be local so if you would like those credentials, you can get in touch with us so you can participate in the informational meeting. And to get those, you can email us at connect at thepactum.org. All right, that's a wrap. We will see you next time here on The Pactum. The Pactum.